Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial, go to Squarespace.com slash TWIP. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Hover.com. Hover is domain name registration and management that's simple. For Hover's transfer concierge service, free for our audience, go to Hover.com slash TWIP. This week on TWIP, is the iPad becoming a serious photographer's tool? In-camera retouching for point-and-shoots and an interview with self-portrait photographer Natalie DeBish. It's Saturday, April 2nd, 2011, and this is Twip. And welcome back to Twip, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson, and joining me today on the show are Mr. Andy Biggs and a new addition to the show, Mr. Robert Evans. Hey, guys. Hey, How guys. All right. Uh, let's start with you, Andy. Um, I'm, we haven't talked in a couple of weeks, and last time we talked, I think you were either coming back from or on your way to another African safari adventure. Have you, yeah. uh, have you completed that? And if so, how did it go? Imagine that. Yeah, I was in Africa again for three weeks in Tanzania to photograph the, the big wildebeest migration. And I just got back a couple weeks ago, and I, for the first time ever, I exceeded 150 gigs of shooting on a trip. Wow, you, you discovered continuous auto, huh? Look at that. No, I, I discovered <laughs> shooting with 24 megapixel cameras. Nice, on <laughs> continuous high, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's great, that's great. Well, cool, welcome back. So and before we move on to you, to you, Robert, uh, Andy, I wanted to chat with you a little bit. There's been a little bit of a hubbub in the news lately, and I was happy to see your name on the show because you are sort of our resident, besides Alex Lindsay, guy who sort of bounces back and forth between here and Africa a lot. Um, there was some news that came out, I think, earlier this week about the GoDaddy CEO shooting uh, like an elephant or a pachyderm over in in Africa. Did you did you read about that? I I, I did, and I, just like you, I, I tweeted it and put it all over my Facebook account. It really disappointed me, to be honest with you, and it just kind of a is a is a is a peek into abhorrent behavior from from uh, from people. Really, you're non-African, and uh, well, for folks who may not know yeah. what the story is, give us a little, just a quick thirty second of what what the GoDaddy CEO did and why he's come under scrutiny. Well, basically, he he has announced that he goes over to Zimbabwe once a year to uh, help local farmers with problem elephants, and the solution in their mind, in his mind at least, is to basically shoot them as they as they come in to eat some of their crops, and uh, I think it's. Um, it's one thing to kind of say, or some people do this for sure, but but it's also there's a lot of bravado in there mm-hmm. that shows that this is the only solution, and, and I'm the I'm the coolest guy on the planet with a big gun. Yeah. And uh, there there was a lot of uproar, and a lot of people are, are moving their accounts from GoDaddy to other uh, providers. Yeah. yeah right I, now, I tweeted about that as well. That was just crazy, and they posted a video of it, which was just like. Wow! Really? <laughs> yeah, it's just—it's just—I don't know. It, you would ex- expect that behavior fifty or a hundred years ago, but it just seems to to not make sense in this day and age. Yeah. Well, you know, 
All right. Well, if you want to learn more about that, definitely just Google GoDaddy and Elephant. I'm sure you'll find the <laughs> you'll find a ton of stories on that. And also on the show is Robert Evans, our now resident celebrity wedding photographer. <laughs> Robert, I, I know you don't particularly like that title. You're just a photographer, but I'm labeling you as celebrity wedding photographer because you photograph the likes of fill in the blank. Who have you shot so far? Uh, the biggest weddings, uh, Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston was my first big one, Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes. And this year, right at the beginning of January 1, I shot Shania Twain's wedding. Um, I have another big one coming up this summer. And Wait, who's the one this summer? Don't, don't leave me hanging. Oh, it's, it's. <laughs> You're not allowed to talk about it until it's in the no. can. Oh, right, 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 right. Gotcha. And I've shot, you know, I've done uh, birthday parties and private parties for Christina Aguilera, Jim Carrey, Jenny McCarthy. Uh, shot Anastasia's wedding, Yoan Griffin, who's also an actor. So are you the go-to guy in, in Hollywood? If you can't get Robert Evans, then you try to get somebody else? Is that how it works down there? <laughs> I'd like to think that. I have a little competition. There's some good photographers out there. But, uh, you know, it's a fickle world. I mean, just like any bride and groom, like, you know, people would say, you know, have said to me, like, oh, you've done all those big weddings. You know, does everybody call you? And it's just not it. You know, you have to remember celebrities have a thousand people talking in their ear and telling them what they should do. And uh, But I have to say everyone that I've been up for, I think I've gotten uh, that I know of anyway. So Very cool. All right. Well, well, we'll dig into that a little bit more in a bit. I think you we, we were chatting back and forth. I think it was over email, and you agreed to let me interview you later. So I'm going to sure, sure. I'm going to hold you to that. We'll we'll record that and stick that into a into an upcoming show. All right. All right, uh, guys, before we continue, I want to uh, let the listeners know that this episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. They allow you to create a website that is uniquely you. You can display your photos from Flickr, a blog. You've been, you can you know, create a blog that you've been thinking about starting. You can link in tweets, RSS feeds, and bring all that into one unified experience. It's all hosted in the cloud. You can choose all the design, the colors, whatever you want and communicate whatever your message is quickly and easily with style, all using squarespace.com. We've got a ton of features in there for you to use to get you up and running very, very quickly. And you can try it out today for free. Just go to squarespace.com, sign up for their free trial, then choose a design template to get started. You don't need a credit card. You just give it a try, build your website, and if you like it, you can keep it. And we'd like to thank Squarespace, Squarespace.com for their support. Again, if you want your free trial, head over to Squarespace.com forward slash TWIP. No credit card. Just try it out. Build, build your website. And then uh, if you like it, keep it. Again, Squarespace.com slash TWIP. All right, guys, let's jump into the news. Uh, this first story. Well, you know, as we all know, a couple of weeks ago, the iPad 2 was released. Right. So yeah. with a lot of horsepower in it. Do you, either of you guys have one of those yet? Or are you like the rest of us that are waiting for the lines to die down? <laughs> I'm on the waiting list. Yeah. <laughs> I missed I missed the announcement when I was in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> wait, you didn't get, wait, they didn't have Apple Store in Africa where you go stand in line to get one? <laughs> yeah, no, no. I I I may actually sit this one out since I've got a 64 gig iPad one. That's what I have, and that's why I'm not in the line waiting on it. But I tell you, there's a couple things in there that that make me lust for the thing, and that's the, particularly the video out on it, and being able to present whatever's on the screen of the iPad to 
you know, a TV or projector and do presentations and that sort of thing. So with that, there's a bunch of apps that came out. I want to get you guys to weigh in on. On One has released their DSLR camera remote HD app to allow you to control your uh, and this these apps aren't specifically for the iPad 2. These are for iPad 1 and 2. Uh, but now with this On One thing, you can control your DSLR from your iPad and see, you know, take pictures and review them and monitor video on the on cameras that support video, all that kind of stuff. Then there's a Lightroom control app and a couple days ago was Photoshop World and Adobe was there. Uh, Johnny uh, Lyokano, who's the, the, the guy that runs the applications team over there, demoed a kind of uh, what do you call it? Test version of Photoshop on the iPad with full layer support and all this stuff. Wow! So it's this is it's really going in a different direction than I thought iPad was going in in terms of being a consumption device. Is really going towards the this you can actually create stuff you know on it and be productive on it. Andy, what do you, what do you think? I mean, is this you know on your Safari? So you're you're kind of the I I kind of position you as the edge case. You're the guy that you got, you got to pack your bags and you got to have what you need and no more because weight is an issue, weather is an issue. You're not taking you know willy nilly stuff. Do you take iPads and and that sort of thing with you out into the bush when you when you when you're doing your workshops? I do, but I really do consider the iPad at least for my for my purposes, I consider it a a mobile entertainment device where I can read books, I can read magazines like Xenio magazines, I can watch movies, listen to music, and yeah, I can browse the web and check emails, but not where I'm going. So I kind of maybe maybe I just kind of have fewer expectations of that kind of advice because I do need a MacBook Pro type product to process photographs and and do work with it. Now. If the iPad had like 128 or 256 gigs of memory, maybe you know maybe I could be convinced to think about it a little more that way. Yeah, is it force fitting though, Robert? I mean, the, having an iPad and doing all this cool stuff. The first thing I thought about when I saw Adobe, dem- I just saw a quick video of them demoing Photoshop for the iPad, and they showed layers and how you can use the 3D to sort of look at layers on Edge and see how it's interacting with the with the different layers in your document. But I'm thinking, why in the world would I want to run Photoshop on my iPad? I mean, I don't, there's a bunch of different little apps that you can do cool things like Photogene that let you do really sort of quick edits, get in and out, post and that sort of thing. But when I think Photoshop, I'm thinking, all right, I need my cup of coffee, I need Lightroom, I need to sit in front of my computer, and I'm going to do some some real editing. You know, I don't think I want to do it on the iPad. Would you, like, would you do wedding type edits on your iPad sitting in front of the TV, Robert? Well, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think I have to, I guess, be convinced of the power of what it can do. Uh, just like you, I'm like, okay, I need my, uh, and Andy, I need my laptop. Uh, if I'm traveling, I'm doing a wedding abroad or whatever. Um, but what I am excited about it for, I didn't get the first one. So you guys both went out and got the first one. And I decided to wait for the second generation to come out. Um, you're, the, been, you're the one. Okay. I, I've been doing more. <laughs> I've been doing more. More and more uh, video stuff with my digital SLRs, 
And uh, so like this app that you're, you're talking about right now, I mean, I've seen this app before, but uh, I mean, to be able to control the camera and like, have a video preview mm-hmm. of what you're shooting, that's going to be awesome. That's the on one app, right? Yeah, the on one app. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I've seen, you know, of course, I've played with friends and there's a lot of really like cool stuff. I mean, I can't wait to get one myself and sort of dive into all the possibilities. I'm not a super technical person, but I like gadgets. I'm a guy. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. But yeah, I mean, as far as the, your question with the Photoshop, I'm going to have to be convinced uh, that it's a better, you know, use of my time to do it on an iPad than onto a computer for right now. Yeah. And can you connect hard drives to them yet? Not you, that you I can't. don't think so. Yeah. yeah no. So that's going to be important, I'm sure, to Andy, too. You know, you're out shooting a ton of images. I don't like to dump images right to my laptop. I take it right to the hard drive and work from hard drives. Yeah. Well, I, I will say that the iOS operating system, which is Apple TV, iPhone, iPad, tu- uh, iPhone, uh, woo, iPod Touch, and iPad, none of those operating systems support mass storage devices at Correct. all. Yeah. 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 That's true. And that's, that's going to be the big thing, right? I mean, and then the other thing is color correction, right? I don't think the, to my knowledge, none of the iOS devices or Android devices are, are, uh, color corrected, right? I mean, you, you, you can you the, like is red on your iPad the same red as you're going to see on your on your desktop machine? You know, so right there's there's all those those things that need to sort of come into sync in order for it to be sort of a professional post processing device. Right. For me, it's I mean it's great. I love the device and you know and the iPhone. I do all my I can do a bunch of cool Instagram stuff and all that, but you know I don't see it being used as like okay here's a photo that like andy i can't see you like one of those, those beautiful images of <laughs> animals out on the tundra like you taking it into your ipad and like okay let me fix this let me move this tree you know i, I don't see that happening not you know, today that's really that's a good point but also keep in mind that you know is this functionality would it even be targeted towards us in any anyway but what if what if yeah you know right. What if you owned a high-end point-and-shoot and you went on a family vacation to Disney World? You know, you could limp by with this. You could actually do what you needed to do to download photographs that are fairly small, to process maybe a few. But keep in mind, most people don't process photographs at all. Yeah. Right. They just they shoot JPEGs, and that's just what it is. And they're able they can share them from there. So, you know, it might, it might solve... A lot of issues for maybe, some. Maybe that's how. That maybe that's how Apple will position the iPad for photographers. Using that phrase you just used, Andy, they'll say, <laughs> "The iPad for professional <laughs> photographers. You can limp by with this." See <laughs> <laughs> what a way to shoot low, huh? <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump out of order in our stories. This this I'm gonna jump the story, the third story in our list here, and this is because you mentioned these point and shoots, and this is <laughs> this one is interesting. And I know you. You guys have seen it. This is about Panasonic has uh, they've introduced a, a point and shoot camera that will get this whiten teeth, remove wrinkles, and apply makeup in camera. <laughs> Let me read that again. This is a reveal who may have missed it. Panasonic has introduced a camera that will whiten teeth, remove wrinkles, and apply makeup in camera. Um, and I know you, if you guys click on that link, if you haven't seen the link with the before and afters, I've seen it. It's like, (laughs) it's like, okay, the camera will apply a way too heavy Gaussian blur. Look for things that are white and turn them whiter, whiter, do some face detection and find the cheeks and splash some red on there. And 
boom, you got your instant clown shot. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to diminish this technology because it's interesting that they're they're going down this route to make people look better in photos, and I commend them for that. But geez, dude, I mean, Robert, are you are you? If this shows up in your next canon, are you gonna? turn this feature on and shoot your brides with this instant retouching? Yeah, I don't think so. I think this is uh, <laughs> aimed at the consumer market. Yeah. For yeah. those less uh, savvy with the camera. <laughs> but even then, you're a professional photographer. Would you buy this point and shoot to take to your kid's birthday party and shoot people with it? No. Yeah, why? Uh, well, first of all, I already have camera equipment that I would use. Um, yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to go out and purchase a, you know, a point and shoot. Uh, not that we don't own one in the house, you know, my wife has one, but, um, I, I'd rather just, you know, I just, you know, I emailed you right before the game. I was like rushing to get back here cause I was shooting my son's game. Yeah. You know, I'm using my equipment, you know, shooting my cannon. You, you and, have a point and shoot that you just like, if you're running out to the beach, you don't want to bring your lenses and all your stuff. You're going to bring a little point and shoot. Or do you just use your iPhone? Um, uh, probably more my iPhone these days. I don't have a point and shoot anymore that, uh, that I, that I personally towed around. Yeah. So if I am going to shoot anything, I'll drag my big cameras around. Gotcha. Or if I'm without, it's the iPhone. Andy, w- what about you? Is this going to find one of these? If this technology does make it into professional level DSLRs, <laughs> are you going to see this? We're going to see Andy big shots that are retouched in camera. No. Why not? <laughs> Come on. No. Think how smooth the, can, smooth the elephants can exactly be. like <laughs> smooth wrinkle free elephants. Look at that. Let me, let me just let me just let me just say with what the blush that like yeah I may take I don't know twenty thousand photographs a year I only show like twenty yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay so I've got the time to process photographs on my camera on my computer mm-hmm. so no it's it's not for me but it's I, I just find it interesting technology just because they're they're finding ways to address maybe you know common challenges or problems without getting into the megapixel game which makes me happy Mm -hmm. because because we don't need more megapixels in these small little cameras we just don't we need we need better use of the the pixels that are there so i applaud them for doing it it's not for me but uh you know like like uh i like the direction of of people doing like planoptic camera type technologies where you can basically vary the the depth of field after the fact. Yep, that's that's cool. That's really yeah. cool. But it's not about megapixels. So, pat on the back for that. Not for me. Interesting. Yeah, I, I'd have to pile onto that and say it's it's not for me either. But you know, I, I the older I get, the more old school I get. I guess because I'm like you're digital, right? I mean, you you have the pixels, bring them into the computer. And if you want to make some changes, there are all kinds of free apps, online apps like Picnic and Picasa, all these things that you can get in there and tweak the photo. It just feels like that's like having that stuff happen in camera is like the worst form of JPEG. Like you, you look at JPEG, <laughs> it's throwing pixels away and destroying your image and giving you what it thinks that you should have seen. And this is taking it to the next level. So now he's going to give you a JPEG. It's going to have munged the pixels and then giving you this, this soup of, of computer generated retouching. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just bitter. (laughs) (laughs) Starting to sound like it. I spent all in my day. I used to spend three hours editing a photo. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And now kids today just take it and it's done. They're getting lazy. All right. The modern day, I walked two miles to school in the snow. Exactly. Get off my lawn. 
<laughs> yeah, I had to process my photographs in Lightroom on a computer, not even on the iPad. You know? I know, I know. Listen to that. Yeah, my day, we, all we had was enlargers. Remember that? Um, I, had, I had mine. Did you have an enlarger, Andy? I did, an Omega. Woo-hoo. I did, too. Nice. All right. We're all old D- fogies. D5, in. I guess? I forgot what it was. It's been so long. Wow. Well, do you remember when the last time or what the last print that you developed by hand was? You know, I actually never did that many darkroom prints, but I did a lot of – I developed all my own negatives, and I would – I tried to make enlarged negatives so Ooh. I could actually, like, do other things with them. But, uh, no, I, I was more shoot shoot film, scan, and print digitally. Oh, go. okay. Gotcha, gotcha. What about you, Robert? Did you, ever, did you ever, like, shoot, process the film, and then make prints from the film that you shot? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, all through. I mean, high school, college. I mean, we. I even worked in a color lab for my very early on in my career, and learned how to print color. You know, with a huge. You know, I guess it was an Omega or Besser with the filter packs in it and color correct that way. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and now we don't have to. So all that, all that stuff that you guys did back then, that's useless. You don't need that. Anymore. <laughs> it's the all contr- gone. <laughs> the control we have now is just awesome yeah. there's no other way to describe it. it's awesome but i do see a lot of um overuse of processing in the computer <laughs> to, to, no. the, to the point, to the point where like, yeah where it's just it where you actually screw up an image like what yeah. give, give me an example are you are you talking about hdr type stuff or just in general in general, like an overuse of, uh, do you remember when the shadows and highlights tool came into mm-hmm. was CS three or CS four? I guess yep, it was. I do. Boy, that was just an an abused tool for sure. Uh, the clarity slider in Lightroom is another example. Yes. Um, I see a lot of overuse of using white balance to warm up an image. Yes. Yep. Uh, <laughs> one guy who runs a website who's fairly well known tends to. Up, uh, show his family photographs where everybody's face is bright red <laughs> and it just drives me crazy <laughs> maybe his monitor is just not calibrated <laughs> oh, boy no kidding yeah no kidding but anyway yeah All side right. topic <laughs> yeah i love it i love it yeah we, we can go off on tangents since we, you know alex is not on the show today we'll just we'll go off on tangents on our own <laughs> i'll be i'll be the resident <laughs> off tangent guy thank you <laughs> All right, this next story is about Facebook, and this is, this is really interesting. So uh, apparently some, uh, this family had a, had a child who was, uh, or a woman who was um, murdered, and the EMT who was on the scene took photos of the murdered woman and posted these mm. photos to Facebook. Mm. Mm. I mean, now, notwithstanding all the morality and just dumbassedness of doing something like that with, you know, people's beloved loved ones, you know, after they passed away, legally, I mean, what do you guys think? So the couple is now suing the people that, you know, the, the family of the, the, the deceased is suing Facebook. Not, well, not the, I know, not the, yeah, not the EMT. They're suing Facebook because Facebook yeah. has more money. That's why. Right. They're <laughs> going for the pocketbook. Yeah. Who would you sue? You know, the guy with the can on the corner or the mega corporation? You know, so they're suing Facebook. And Facebook, of course, is, is saying uh, with the quote, they said, uh, this case is without merit and we will fight it vigorously. But the, the question I have is. You know, we all you know we all know it's wrong, whatever. And Facebook shouldn't be sued. They're going after Facebook because they have money, yada yada yada. But just from the technical piece of this, once an image hits the internet, is because the, these people are suing for Facebook to remove it and give them back their photo, right? So 
Facebook has removed the image. But, you know, I could have copied the image down to my hard drive. So there's no way, once it's released into the wild, there's no way to get it back. So no. is, is this even, can you even litigate here? I mean, what, what do you guys think? Andy? You know, here's the irony. The minute you, you announce this, uh, you know the photograph is going to be accelerated in the press, and it's going to actually propagate faster. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's, it's, a, it's a tragedy. The whole thing is a tragedy. But uh, I don't think there's any, I mean, I don't know. The cat's out of the bag. Yeah, yeah. Once it once it hits the web, it's there's not like there's a reverse. Oh, let's, yeah. Hit the undo button and take it off the web. You can't do that. It's it's out. It's on millions of servers, right? I mean, no. Robert, Robert, what do you think about this? I mean, like if you if you take this out of this context and say, you know, we talk about copyright on the show a lot. If somebody takes one of your images, or, you know, say of Tom Cruise or whatever, and posts it on their Facebook page, and you sue and you say, take this photo down. By the time you get around to that, a it's all over the place, so you can't do that. And B, if you draw attention to it, like Andy was saying, more people are going to go download it or try, right, to, no. try to find the image. So what's the remedy? What do you do? There isn't one. I mean, it's just, you know, once it gets out, it's out. I and mean, there's no way around it. And, you know, obviously, and we've said this, but Facebook isn't responsible. I mean, if anything, they should go after the person that did it. But then he has the right to do it if he wants to as well. I don't know what, you know. I always used to like what... uh Tom Likas used to say, he's like, if you don't want to see naked pictures of yourself on the internet, don't pose naked. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I hate to laugh in this, but it, it really it really does come down to uh, to personal responsibility. And I and I don't know, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not an attorney, but I do believe that there's some protection for public servants against litigation. So that may be the driver around uh, of this because that person maybe can't be sued. Yeah, and I wonder about that too because this EMT, you know, as much respect as I have for the the EMTs out there of the world, why would you post a photo of a you know a murdered woman on your Facebook page? I mean, what what good can come of it? I'm not, I don't understand that. Piece. Right. Well, as a public servant, I mean, he should know better. And if they wanted to sue anybody, then go after the city or the county or someone who employs him. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, Just- it's a sticky situation. We'll link to all this stuff in the story. It's on CNN right now, actually, um, in the uh, the show notes for this episode. But it's craziness, it's craziness out there. Are you guys, uh, Andy? Are you using Facebook to to market yourself and market your workshops and all that? Uh, absolutely. But the reality is, um, I think Google's my friend for the most part. Google and uh, just referrals, people saying, hey, I, I went to Africa or uh, I went on a workshop with Andy and I learned something. Uh, I'd love to you know, recommend him. So I think that's kind of where I get most of my business. But Facebook um, is, is, uh, is an, interesting, <laughs> it's an interesting thing because I have to mix both personal like commentary mixed in with business commentary. Yeah. And if, if you think about um, photographers as a business, we used to not really have to do much of this stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, I'd say blogs were the first thing to really come down the pipe in the new digital era where, you know, it was a casual form of communication. And then Facebook got even more casual. And then Twitter is casual and short. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? And it's, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't love that it takes me time out of my day to do that um, because all my trips are filled up and I, I'm busy already. Yeah. Um, well, it's I interesting. To, I mean, yeah. you, you look at you look at Facebook and you know I'm, I'm, uh, this is a top of mind for me because I'm working on some some Facebook projects, um, some training projects for photographers, and 
you know, in my research, basically, Facebook has active users over 600 million. 600. And then this is, this is as of February of this year, and we're already in April. So 600 million active users. And to put that in perspective, the entire population of the United States of America, I believe, is around 307 million. So they, they are more than twice the size of this country. And Crazy. about the third, you know, I think maybe a third the size of the population of China and multiples of the size of Japan. You know, many multiples of size. Every, every living heartbeat in Japan, human heartbeat in Japan, Facebook has them covered. So when you look at it from that perspective, that's a gigantic market for people, photographers to target, you know, and then. It's just it's insane. Robert, are you using are you using Facebook to get the word out about your services or do you even need to? Yeah, no, no, of course. I don't think I'm going to, you know, pull a celebrity client from there. Uh, like Andy mentioned, I think Google's more of my friend, you know, maybe in that realm of somebody searching celebrity wedding photographer, hence the hence the domain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, even if you search that term, actually, it's a fairly new domain. But, you know, I come up one or two under celebrity photographer and or celebrity wedding photographer in Google. So um, that definitely helps. I don't know, you know, it seems like a lot of my celebrity stuff's come from referral. And then my, you know, my normal uh, everyday client is, you know, from a planner or past client or, you know, similar to what Andy talked about. Yeah. You know, I've been doing it for 22 years. So, you know, I have a little bit of, you know stamina so to speak and you know and tenure as they call yeah yeah very interesting yeah i would definitely recommend photographers <clears throat> you know i think it's a prerequisite that photographers be up to speed at least if you're a professional and trying to generate leads and income from your photography you need to be cognizant of how to use and wield google and you need to be cognizant of how to use and wield facebook and twitter you know it's just yeah it, it, that is the new way to get the word out about yourself well, and what Andy said, too, you have to have sort of a dual personality. You can't constantly Facebook and Twitter about your workshop, so to speak. But you have to kind of balance it a little bit, a little bit about you and, you know, your personality. People want to know you. I mean, that's, I think, what comes across in a blog. People like certain blogs because there's a personality that comes through in a blog, you know, in most cases. Yeah. Man, right. you, just, you just hit the nail on the head, though, Robert, which is, you know, you've got to figure out a way to make blog posts, Facebook posts, Twitter posts informative, some reason for someone to listen to what you have to say, mixed in with a little, hey, guys, I really do have to pay the bills. <laughs> Pardon the little marketing message here. Yeah. You know? But the thing that I struggle with is that I'm busy, and I'm busier than I've ever been, and I've got more work than I can possibly handle. And but I'm still I still have to do that kind of social media work um, to get you know to prime the pump for maybe 24 48 months out right. and it's kind of crazy and I think I see a lot of guys that are just starting in the industry in photography that are just starting to they're spending like oh, they may have 50 uh, Twitter posts in a day yeah. it's because they've got the time yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of kind of random. Little plug, by the way, I'm going to be on the Today Show on May 24th. Get out of here! Nice. Get out of here. Yeah, Dude, anyway. that's awesome. Uh, wait, wait. So we'll put the details of that definitely in the in the show notes, <laughs> so we can people can put that on their uh, their calendars. When April 24th, May, or May May 24th, and I'm going to be with uh, Cassie Lee and Hoda. What? Check yeah. it out. Teach, right. I'm going to help them uh, take better family uh, travel photographs. That's awesome. Congratulations, man. It'd be fun. Yeah, look at that. Mention me. 
<laughs> Kathy, do you know Frederick Van? <laughs> yeah, get that get that in there. Just work it into a sentence somehow. You know, just get it in there. All right. Uh, before we move on, guys, I want to give another quick nod to we have an, another sponsor. Speaking of domain registrars, this episode of TWIP is brought to you by Hover.com. It's H-O-V-E-R.com. And they're all about making domain registration and service simple. So basically, they've taken the whole idea of registering a domain and cut out all the fluff and made it really simple. So they looked at the process of registering a domain and saw that it took like 50 or more clicks just to buy a domain. And then they hit you with all these different offers and all this other stuff and scare tactics like, oh, do you want privacy? Because somebody will know where you live if you register this. And, you know, so you get all these add-ons on top of that. So basically what they're what they're about is they don't sell a ton of services on top of this. They're, fer- they're focusing on making it easy to register and manage your domains and email addresses. And they've got, which I think is really cool, this this no-hold policy for customer service calls uh, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So when you call them, you will get a live person, and they guarantee that they're not going to put you on hold, which is uh, pretty big because other domain registrars do that so i think it's, it's actually re- nice is to talk to a live person i know imagine that without you know 50 million button presses to get through so what they let you do uh they let you set up email addresses forward email ad- addresses redirect domains that you own to other websites you can create url extensions set up privacy all with just a, a few clicks it's really really cool so definitely check them out there at hover h-o-v-e-r dot com and if you need a new domain you you're in that spot where you're ready to either switch from an old registrar to a new one or you just want to register a name go to hover.com and use the offer code t-w-i-p that's twip and get 10 percent off that's hover h-o-v-e-r dot com slash twip and use the offer code T-W-I-P. All right, guys, right now on the show, a very special interview insert that we're going to stick in right here. It's uh, with Natalie DeBish, and I've spoken to her about, I think it was about two years ago. She's a self-portrait photographer. She lives over across the pond, and uh, she just put out a new book called Self-Portrait Photography, The Ultimate in Personal Expression. And in this interview, we talk about basically that. Why is it the ultimate in personal expression? Um, and we talk about her uh, about in the book how she goes into the deconstruction of how she makes some of these fantastic images that she's become so famous on Flickr and outside of Flickr for. So here's that interview now. Okay, I'm lucky enough to have Miss Natalie DeBish on again. I've spoken to her before, but it was, you know, as I was looking back in the archives, it's been like two years since she and I had a chance to sit down and talk about photography and her career. And a lot has happened happened in this two years, and we're going to talk about that. So welcome to This Week in Photo, Natalie. Hello, Frederick. Thank you very much for having me again. <laughs> it, it is wonderful to have you on the show. So um, first of all, back when we first spoke, and I'll, mm-hmm. link, I'll link to that interview from, this, from the blog post that this one's going to show up in. But when we first spoke, if I recall correctly, you hadn't been doing photography for that long. I think at that time it was only you'd only been doing photography maybe two or three years, but you yeah. had already skyrocketed in terms of popularity. So where are you now? You know how how have things changed since since two thousand nine? Um, I think to put it in a nutshell, what was happening in two thousand nine is I was there, there was a lot of hype happening. I mean, you talk about it as an explosion of popularity, and I, I guess um, I mean things were happening. I, I was. 
I was um, starting to do photography for full-time living, as, as you would technically call it. But um, that was the year that I was on the cover of American Photo, and there was all this publicity about the self-portraiture, which was fantastic. But there was still a little bit of um, a, a, a bit of a question mark of myself over where it was going and how exactly, you know, where my direction would go. So since then, um, I've been doing various different things um, as part of my my whole Miss Aniela practice as an artist. And I think what's happened is I've really consolidated as um, a brand, if you like. I've become um, officially a kind of business doing different things, different strands. Hmm. And um, the book has been hopefully my kind of proof that there is something substantial behind the hype and that, you know, I, I start as I mean to go on and produce um, more and more stuff and evolve. So let's talk about that a little bit. So the, the enterprise of Natalie DeBish or Miss Aniela, you know, how does, how does that work? So you've created this, this, this alter ego, this persona that is the person that appears in your photographs, correct? And then you've built a business around that with, with separate revenue streams, and one of which is the book, and et cetera, et cetera. How does all that work together? How, the, how do the puzzle pieces fit? Um, well, I think the, the main strand running through all these things is the internet, primarily. I mean, obviously, the internet is how everything started for me and for, well, a lot of photographers that I see around me in this same kind of generation as well. Um, and I think the attention that I've got online, um, people seeing my work from different kind of like um, sectors in 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 photography and and connected to photography like publishing for example with the book being approached to do the book and and then also another significant trend uh, another significant strand of what i do now is workshops as well so that's um another element that's come off of the internet exposure because that's that's how i advertise my workshops and how i get people to come and attend um and then there's also the two other strands which is a fine art the exhibiting my work in galleries and um and, and selling my work as prints and also the commercial work that I've started to do more of as well. And essentially these have all come about through different kind of um, avenues that have become available to me through putting my work on the internet. That's wonderful. So you, is it fair to say that you are not a classically trained, if there's such a thing, photographer that, that went through school and, you know, all this stuff you are, you're self-taught and you found that you have this, this, amazing talent to capture photographs and the internet was the catalyst to allow you to share that with the world. So have you, have you had any backlash from, from other photographers saying, Hey, she should not be enjoying the success because she's not a quote real photographer unquote. Um, not, not, not as much as I'd fear. I mm -hmm. mean, I think more in the beginning there was, there, there appear to be more challenges. Maybe on, like, if putting my work on Flickr, there might be some more challenging comments. But um, I've I found that I've got less of them, even if there were any to start with. But also, I don't really care for that as much because I know that my work is not everyone's cup of tea, and that's perfectly acceptable. Yeah. Whereas at the start, I maybe was a little bit more defensive or just a bit more, just not as not as secure in myself as to you know the the work that I do. Um, but also because I, I literally have opened up my kind of mental doors a little bit to uh, contextualize my own photography and and to look at other people's work, look at other photographers' work more than I ever have done before. And 
and to really and also to try new things as well so that you know um the self-portraiture goes on you know but I use myself in different kind of context and tones now in my work I'm evolving or, or experimenting a little bit at least and I also shoot other other subjects um mainly because of, of the workshops I've started I've been shooting other models and f- throwing myself out of that kind of self-portraiture niche has been really interesting but at the same time there's something that I'm bringing from my self-portraiture that I've always done into the new work that I'm doing and really finding what my kind of um, ultimate comfort zone or style or you know forte or whatever you want to call it finding out really what that is yeah so let's let's talk a little bit about self-portraiture as a as a genre so how you know I'm it's amazing some of the work that I see online, yours and, and other photographers that are using themselves as the subject or the main subject in the scene and doing or not doing, you know, sort of Photoshop manipulation to, to do either multiplicity effects or whatever in there. I think that's an amazing just sort of vertical genre within photography. Why self-portraiture for you specifically as an artist? Why did you choose that vertical to, to focus your efforts on? Um, well, when I talk about my reasons for doing self-portraiture, I find that there's a lot of, there's a very complex kind of um, set of reasons or, or, or you know, a, um, a set of lots of different reasons why I've done that. And I always say that in the beginning days, I wasn't really conscious of what I was doing. I didn't make a conscious decision to choose it. It just kind of happened. So what I do is I look back and try and figure out why I ended up, you know, doing it what you know why I subconsciously chose to do it and I think at the start it was very much um I mean first of all it was convenient because I didn't set out wanting to be a photographer necessarily I just knew that I was interested in taking pictures and it just felt natural to go out and use myself because there was no compromise or or you know um in um and distraction from anyone else being involved in the process and I liked kind of because I didn't really know what I was doing as well I didn't want to think that there would be any witnesses to it. You know, I could just play around and if a, if a shot didn't work, I, no, one could, no one else would see it. Um, and as, as I've um, continued to do self-portraits over, uh, over the years, I felt there has been nice opportunities to put personal references in the pictures. Uh, I've always liked how the final picture is, is um, completely mine, you know, being mm-hmm. in the picture myself, there was no model release in a figurative or literal sense. Um, and also, I've found recently doing using myself in my work, um, I'm using myself in a way that's not necessarily completely personal. I'm using myself more as a model, as I would use a model, um, as a kind of carrier of something else, some other symbolism, or, uh, some kind of on a universal level. And I've also come across some, well, through through all the time doing self-portraits obviously there's there's limitations and there's restrictions to using yourself and I've welcomed more and more the positives from using other models and being able to frame them obviously you know staying on one side of the camera and framing them through the lens and getting them to do things that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do yourself because of practicality Um, and I've also been shooting pictures of myself with help from my partner Matthew so kind of a collab sometimes they're self-portraits but sometimes they're more collaborative Mm. and that's certainly helpful because you know I'm lucky to be with someone who I'm very in tune with creatively so he can shoot something the way that I wish to wish it to be shot so there's different levels on which the self-portrait can act and 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 it sometimes is more personal than, than other times. 
That's awesome. So let's walk through, say, a typical image, if there is such a thing as a, you know, a typical image. Um, how do you, from concept to creation, from when the, when the, the spark of idea hits you, like, oh, I want to do this kind of shot, um, all the way through to it's done and you're finished retouching it. Can you just walk me through sort of from a, maybe a, from a high level what's going through your mind at each step of the, in each step of the process? Uh, I find it very difficult to talk about the process generically across my work because it can be very different. Um, I mean, if I were to identify the process, like, let's say, like, two examples for comparison, a process from my early days would be, um, you know, uh, doing one of the clone pictures maybe outside. Uh, I'd think of something maybe that I've seen, like a lighting effect in a painting or or maybe something I've seen a flicker of someone else's work that I've liked or something very vague and I would just go out and I would let whatever happened happen in front of the camera and the camera would probably be propped somewhere in an improvised fashion and it would be on auto settings and I wouldn't really think about lighting that much unless it was um, a low-key lit picture indoors where I would use a, a lamp to create a kind of like Caravaggio um, glow upon my skin or um, by comparison, the process I go through now is not necessarily that much different. I, I've come to learn that there is a lot of that spontaneity still in my process, but I don't let it go so kind of open-ended. I have more of an idea of something I want to convey because I'm, I'm starting to realize that what I want to prevent happening is frustration at the edit point where I'm looking through these pictures and wondering what the hell I've been doing and wishing I did something different that I didn't quite do. <laughs> so I tried to put myself in the in the editing frame of mind, you know, in the shoot now more and more. So I see exactly, you know, what's going on in front of me as if I'm looking at it on the screen and, and kind of, you know, ma- making it happen at, at, at the point of shoot. But still with self-portraiture, there has to be that little bit of um, flexibility because, you know, it's very difficult to shoot yourself and to get it, get you, yourself exactly how you might imagine in your mind's eye. So you've got to allow for a little bit of bending this way and that and coming out with an out- outcome that you might not have completely anticipated. Yeah, that's interesting because I know most of the people, or not most of the people, a lot of the people that I, like friends and family that I take pictures of, which get annoyed because, you know, I'm typically the photographer in the group and I always have a camera with me, but they, <laughs> people don't like to have their photos taken unless they're, you know... Pretty, you know, <laughs> they, don't want, they don't want to be photographed. They'll hand, hold their hand up or whatever. You know, so how how have you sort of gotten pushed past that? You know, so you've gone past that to the nth degree where you can do the, the, some amazing photographs. I'm flipping through your book right now as we're talking, and there's some amazing photographs in here of you that are they're really revealing and just you're opening yourself up to the world here where other people would say, you know, there's no way I could do that, you know, let alone and put it in a book and show millions of people. How are you able to push through that mentally? Well, I mean, without broaching the topic of attractiveness too, too much, because it's a little bit obviously embarrassing to talk about that. But like, I mean, if you, if I were to quickly refer to the people that might have, suggested that I have an easy job as a as a young woman photographing myself in front of the camera half naked and I think um I I must admit there is an element of naivety for me though it it, with that because I don't necessarily especially to start with didn't really consider myself you know wonderfully attractive or or anything what what fascinated me with, with taking pictures of myself is how my myself my semblance could could take on such different forms 
um, through the lens, you know, even before the post-production, how I could look not completely different, but just but just different enough to fascinate me in a photograph, you know, beyond what, I mean, you, you mentioned people hating having um, pictures taken of themselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily any different with that. You know, I cringe to see pictures that someone else has snapped at, of me at an event or whatever. But but self-portraiture is completely different because you're using yourself in, in art pieces and the selection of a picture and the way you edit it and the context you put with it, you know, it, it shapes it into something completely beyond an everyday photograph. And um, I found that using myself you know um in my pictures i don't like i mean my book coming out my family are a little bit kind of scared of <laughs> you know who's going to see these pictures of me in this book half naked and yeah. you know family relatives and stuff like that but i mean th- 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 obviously that that's not really I'm, that's not something that worries me because it's not me in the pictures i mean it's me in a technical sense but i'm representing myself as uh, I, I'm becoming an instrument for something else. I'm, I'm playing a role in a picture, like a like an actor, you know, um, um, like uh, in in the model sense of the word. So I don't feel like it's it's the raw, unedited um, version of me that. I mean, I think I think what's what scares people when they're photographed um, is that they they don't have a control over you know how they appear. Whereas when you take self-portraits, you have all the control um, because you're photographing yourself and you're doing it for an artistic reason. Um, obviously, that completely varies from one artist to the next because there the are self-portrait artists out there who take much more real pictures of themselves than, than mine are necessarily. But I think it's not about how much processing you do to it necessarily. It's just the fact that you've chosen to, you know, um, appropriate, appropriate yourself in a particular way in a piece of art. Yeah. Now, all the all your your are you doing all the the post processing on your photos yourself, or do you send them out to an assistant, or how does that work? Uh, yeah, I do all the all the processing on my pictures. That's all right. That's awesome. Okay, so let's. Uh, I want to talk. So this book that I've been sort of hinting at that you put out, I want to talk about that in a second. But before I I do that, I just want to talk about Flickr a little bit. Last time we spoke. Um, we were talking about the sort of the phenomenon that that was you on Flickr and how you know you're able to sort of use that as a as a way to propel the views of your work and just overall how that has been the catalyst to allow you to reach a global audience very very quickly. How has that changed? Is Flickr is Flickr still one of the main drivers of your popularity, or has it shifted over to your blog, or or how is that working now? Hmm, well, it's interesting because, I mean, I still use Flickr as often as ever. And in fact, this year I've been pushing myself to create more and more images and to put them on there without fearing what people are going to think necessarily yeah. in line with what they expect to see from Miss Aniela's latest. But um, I, it's interesting because Facebook has become such a big platform for a lot of people, um, especially over, I think, probably over the last two years or so I've been building a presence on there and I think the, the powerful thing about Facebook is that you know there are no apart from um, you're not allowed to uh, upload nude images but apart from that there's no really um, restriction as to what you can share commercially whereas there there has been um, a lot of um, difficulty or, or, or kind of um, grey areas about what you can share on Flickr in terms of linking out to something you're doing commercially. Um, and on Flickr, in terms of fan base, I've found that, I mean, that that I've 
40 odd thousand people following me on there so technically it's you know the biggest platform I've got to share stuff you know to, with with my audience but I, I sometimes feel as though if I put something on Flickr um, you know people are looking for the thing that attracts them attracts their eye you know within a split second and some of my work recently has maybe challenged them a little bit and it hasn't been as popular as my early work I certainly don't get the feeling that um, I'm necessarily as popular as I was on Flickr before um, simply in terms of numbers in terms of you know comments and favorites because I'm because what, what makes you popular online is when you can do something instantly recognisable and quite mainstream. And um, having said that, I do find that I can generally get a vibe, not all the time, but generally get a vibe for when a picture is going to be successful, not only with the mainstream, but also in the art world, when I put it online and it gets a good response. So it is a good gauge to really feel for whether people are going to like a picture or not because you might love it and the Flickr crowd hate it and that can sometimes mean it's not really a very good picture or it's not going to be very popular on the walls of a gallery. So it's very interesting. I keep using it, but I also branch out to other places. I link out to my blog because I write more on my blog than ever before. So I just want to keep people interested in everything else that I do and not just the latest you know, um, spectacle picture that I've created. Yeah. So before before we move on, I know there are a lot of people who are like, okay, where is she on Facebook? I want I want to I want to see her page while I'm listening to this interview. So where a where is your what's where is your Facebook page? What's the name of it? And then b where is your blog so people can maybe follow along? Cool. Yeah. Uh, the Facebook page is is Miss Aniela. It's called Miss Aniela, and that's uh, the URL is um, Facebook.com/slash Miss Aniela Photography. And uh, the blog is, um, I mean, my website is missaniella.com and you can find the blog following through that or you can go straight to missaniellablog.com. Okay, perfect. And for those folks that are wondering how to spell Miss Aniella, it is M-I-S-S-A-N-I-E-L-A <laughs> Photography on Facebook. Cool. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm going to make sure they get there. Um, and of course, we'll link to this in the, the blog post for this, this show as well. So it'll be a click away. Um, okay, so let's let's move on to this book. So this book showed up in the mail the other day. Thank you so much for sending this over. <laughs> um, it is amazing, by the way. And I think you know, it just not trying to to you know stroke your ego, but this I think this book needed to be written um, in terms of just drawing a line in the sand of how self-portrait photography should be done and what it's all about as a genre. And then you also go into tips and technique of how you did certain shots. And I was wondering how you did certain shots. <laughs> and, and now you just revealed all your little tricks in this book. Mm -hmm. So so let's, let's start off from the top. We talked a little about self-portraiture as a genre. Let's talk about it from the context of, of this book. And for the folks that are wondering what the title is, the title is called Self-Portrait Photography, and the subtitle is The Ultimate in Personal Expression. So let's take it from there. Why is self-portrait photography the ultimate in personal expression? <laughs> well, um, I mean, as I've talked about a little bit already in this interview, um, self-portraiture, there are many reasons why I've, t why I've done it myself as an artist and why I continue to do it. Yep. And also, as you'll see in the book, you know, there are eight contributors in there, all with really top-notch quality work, who all talk about why they take pictures of themselves or, you know, for whatever reason they found themselves doing it as part of their art. Um, 
and I think you know there are there are many reasons, um, including for me one of the reasons on ongoing throughout the the whole of my you know self portrait creating art side of things um, is having complete control over everything and having being able to do whatever idea you have in your head without the um you know having to use models or or go out and to have someone else you know be part of it or any compromise um but also you know um that suggests you've already got an idea to start with but self portraiture can also be um some a genre that you pursue because you have specific things you want to document about yourself or represent to do with your own experiences and, and your own life and I've certainly found peepholes of that in my own work on a conscious and a, and a subconscious level um, and also it's just a way for you to try out new things as well that you might shoot other models or other subjects for a living or for a hobby and you want to try something out um, using yourself as a guinea pig um, and I found that the, the portfolios of the contributors in the book you know they're, they're all quite diverse but they all have also the commonality between them, which is they've all embraced something a bit spontaneous about the whole process of taking a self-portrait. And I think that's a really um, fascinating journey to have when you're creating a, an, a picture based on a concept and you're using yourself and it turns out in a way that you didn't quite anticipate. Um, and also even just to eradicate the stress that you might have shooting a model, especially if you're just getting into photography. I mean, my book certainly alludes to the idea that if you're starting out and you want to try things out, that you can um, you can do so without having the awkwardness or, or the pressure of, of shooting a model because there's always a suggestion that you know what you're doing when you've got a model in front of you. And I've I've happily avoided that for a while by doing self-portraits continuously. And now I'm moving into shooting models with a little bit more knowledge because I put myself into their shoes and ask them to do something that I would have, you know, can imagine myself doing. Yep, yep. So is, is self-portraiture limited to, say, the younger, more attractive females or can older, less attractive males actually do self-portrait photography and be successful? <laughs> well, now, I'm not talking about myself here. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, um, when I was approached to do this book, my concern, especially because that was the time where there was some quite kind of cliched arguments going around on Flickr, I think to do with the American photo cover, which featured me, mm -hmm. um, as to, you know, who does self-portraits and why do they get popular? And obviously, as all young, attractive women who do it and blah, blah, blah. And, um, I was just concerned that with this book that I would counteract that a little bit. I mean, I'm not going to be naive about the way people perceive me. They probably perceive me as maybe, you know, going on the cover being the exact kind of like clarification of that claim. Yeah. But, um, but you know, within the book, I've tried to, with the contributors, show a range of, of artists, you know, men as well, um, Noah Kalina, Federico Era, and John Jacobson, um, and just a, a range of, of self-portrait artists as well, because there's a couple of artists in there that whose pictures aren't necessarily so kind of like pleasing to the eye on first glance. They're a bit more challenging and they're a little bit more um, eerie or disruptive to, to, you know, kind of mainstream perception. So I'm really pleased that it's got that mix because there's still there's, there's nothing wrong with creating beautiful images. You know, um, I've always argued that when I create myself portraits which are generally have, have been quite aesthetically pleasing you know it's not necessarily 
just a picture of myself. It's the the um, the picture is is the beautiful thing that I've created, you know, and I've I've just been an ingredient in 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 my, making that, but not necessarily a direct consequence to towards. Um, and and with the people in the book, I find that you know some of their pictures are very beautiful as well, and the book celebrates that and and doesn't you know um, it basically lay, lays bare these artists' real. Um, instincts when it comes to creating images that are whimsical and poetic and romantic or or a little bit challenging so I think hopefully my book will will show that there's a lot more to it than just you know framing a perfectly formed self there's also a contributor in there called Yulia Gorodinsky and I was so pleased that I put her in because at first I was scared that she would kind of um, uh, her work the way it's perceived it, it would go toward confirming the notion that, you know, young, pretty girls take pictures of themselves. But her work is genius. I I, I chose it for the book because um, what she does with herself in her picture is, is I think, probably would be less um, esteemed, uh, would be more esteemed if a man were taking the pictures because there would be less of that notion of, well, she's pretty and she's got it easy. But her work and the angles from which she shoots herself and the crops that she that she employs in her pictures um, are, are very clever and, um, and very interesting and it's not at all easy to do pictures like that and her processing is incredible too. So um, there's kind of celebration and everything that I've liked in my choice of contributors and also something a little bit different um, going against the kind of aesthetic you see in my work with some of the, with some of their work in there. So is it fair to say that, that this book could be the launch pad for millions of photographers that want to jump into self-portraiture but, or self-portrait photography and weren't sure how to do it? Is it, is it that level of book or is it more of a coffee table book? Oh, well, it's definitely, I mean, it's marketed as an instructional photography book. And Isle Express, who initially commissioned this book, that's, that's the kind of book they create. Um, um, but at the same time, it's it's not a book that um, is is so hardcore, I think, as other instructional books. It doesn't make any promises that you're going to be a great photographer if you do step one, two, and three. It talks more about my process with the hope that it will inspire you to pursue whatever you want to do. Um, And I do write a lot about, you know, how exactly you might get into self-portraiture. So the whole kind of, like, um, aim of the book is, is generally... I mean, it appears at least to be, you know, how you would get into self-portraiture. But I was just talking with someone today in another interview that, um, you know, the the book, even though it's about self-portraiture, even if you're not intending to take self-portraits or you don't think you'd be interested in self-portraiture, um, I would think that the book is still interesting enough um, in terms of its visual content and the contributors as well as my work it, um, is interesting enough for, for you to enjoy as a photography book in general. You don't have to have an urge to take pictures of yourself. You know, I think there's a lot of quality content in there. And certainly even the last chapter of the book, which is about marketing your work, I think a lot of people would find useful, um, whether their pictures are self-portraits or not, because it's a lot of stuff that I've learned over the last five years of kind of treading the line between amateur and pro and then going fully into pro and what the hell does pro mean and mm-hmm. um, just guiding people with a couple of pointers that I've 
you know, learned myself over that time. So I think the book has a lot there for, for the price, you know, um, especially coming from the whole self-publishing world and how expensive a book is to, to make and to have this all this all this content um, in this one book. I think um, I think a lot of people would find valuable. Yeah, I think I think looking at the book and looking at the various sections and how it's laid out, the the one thing that grabs me about it is the first, you know, it's a beautifully laid out book and I love the form factor and the and the, the design of the book, but then down into the different sections uh and how how you sort of break down the how I made piece of it for for yourself and the other photographers that are showcased in the book. For me, that's the golden part because you look at the stunning image and you're like wow, that's amazing, whether it has some manipulation or none at all, and you're just going to go into the thought process behind that photographer and what they were thinking when they did that shot. The how I made piece is the nugget for a lot of photographers. It's like, okay, yeah. this is this is a beautiful shot. What was going through her mind when she set that camera up to get this shot? And you take us right into that. So congratulations. Yeah, I just want to comment on that. I think a lot of photography books um, – out there will show you how to do a picture but they won't necessarily at the same time talk about why the person created the picture and I like to think that my book combines both the how and the why I mean it's got more hows than the typical coffee table book coffee table book is there just to parade someone's pictures but um, the instructional photography book goes the opposite way and talks about the hows and I like to think that the hows and the whys are covered as in this book in a in a way that's um, quite unique from what I've seen of other titles out there which is yeah. uh, a selling point I think of it yeah yeah I agree and you know one other thing we, we I talk about on on the show a lot the sort of the upcoming popularity of ebooks and digital dis distribution and that sort of thing um, and how the decline of sort of dead tree books or printed books is is impending but when I look at your book I don't see how you could execute this book as as well as it's done electronically in a PDF you kind of need to feel and hold these photos in your hand while you're reading along with them and hold it, you know, bring it closer to your face and examine the details and, you know, read the words. It's sort of a tactile experience with this particular mm -hmm. book. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm eating my words a little bit with regard to PDFs and ebooks <laughs> taking over. <laughs> so, first time I think on this show. <laughs> yeah, I think I spend enough time on my computer anyway. So, um, any break I get from my computer in the form of a physical object uh, like a book or a magazine it, to be honest is a blessing to me at the moment so i definitely agree there <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit just while we we're gonna start trailing it off here but in terms of how photography i know you go into it a lot in the book but if you want to give some tips now to photographers that are excited after listening to this interview and I, okay i'm gonna go set up my tripod and turn the timer on and and do some shots of myself what are some tips that you would give photographers that are that may not have done this before just basics uh, do you mean specifically on self-portraiture then mm -hmm. yes yeah um well i think uh i mean it, it depends what kind of photographer you are i guess uh there are what kind of approach that you have. I think the main thing to remember, however, is that no matter what kind of photographer you are, the self-portraiture process is one that, you know, it, it, it can seem like it's not easy. And But really what you've got to welcome is the whimsical element and the element that will slightly, um, the flexibility element of, of doing something 
doing um, producing something that you didn't necessarily completely storyboard or, or, or you know sketch out. Uh, I mean, I've seen other photographers, um, you know, who who have a lot more of a methodology into how they create a picture and they literally sketch it out even roughly and they know how their picture is going to be composed even as a self-portrait but I find generally that self-portraits are a little bit um you know they don't always come out how how you want them to or you come out with something completely unexpected so I'd, I'd encourage people to go with that flow um I mean it's it is important to have some notion of what you want to do what you want to achieve otherwise you might end up with just another you know cliched picture of of yourself just looking straight at the camera mm -hmm. or, or, you know, sitting, doing your everyday thing, you know, try and use some imagination, try and um, play upon maybe something personal to you or even just inspiration from a dream or, or, or your favourite novel or, or a film that you've seen that's inspired you. But try and mix those inspirations to produce something that's personal. I think that's one of the greatest things about self-portraiture is that it can pull out potentially something unique from someone um, instead of, I mean, because they look into themselves for inspiration and they find, um, you know, a unique cocktail of inspirations and sources, everything they've, everything that they've um, seen before, not just photography, but films and, and photographs and, um paintings and what have you so i'm not i'm not really sure what what else to say because it really is up to the individual as to why you know the art that they create whether it's self-portraiture or not but um but i definitely encourage just to experiment as well that's how i got into photography was experimenting um and not necessarily feeling like you have to spend all day studying or planning something, just trying it, just doing it. Yeah. That's the best way. Yeah, throw the camera out there and get some mileage on your trigger finger, right? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So uh, if, if photographers are interested in, you mentioned workshops. So if they're like, okay, I, I've looked at her book and I'm looking at her work online and I think I would benefit by some, some in-person training, on how to do this sort of thing. Is that what your workshops are geared to fill? Those people that need that sort of hand-holding or just want to be inspired by you in person? Um, well, the workshops so far that I've been doing um, in the UK here, I've also done some in LA as well um, last November and January and certainly want to do more workshops in America. Um, but the workshops I currently do over here are... Um, the ones I've done so far have been levitation themed. So I actually show the techniques of producing the trick images that you'll see in the book. Mm. There's also, I mean, there is a, a process in the book of, of, you know, how I've created one of my trick images. And I saw that. I, the Spider-Man image was the one, the one with you crawling the wall. That, yeah. that was the one I wanted to know how you did it, and now I know. <laughs> okay. See, yeah, it's very simple. Um, so I, basically, I wanted the workshops to be inspirational but I also wanted them to show some kind of concrete skill because you know I don't want to I don't want to you have to have something direct to show in a workshop and the, the levitation has worked to treat because people turn up and they all seem interested in levitation and wanting to know how to do it and I show them how to do it and they come away with a picture of their own using a model um, guided by me and it's not only tips on literally how to do it but how to make it effective that's been the biggest kind of area of of, of addressing you know um how to actually make not just someone float in the air but how to make it look contextually more interesting around them because there's so many boring levitation pictures out there where you've just got somebody literally you know 
um, horizontal in, in midair and there's nothing else about the image that's interesting so I do that and I also do shooting experiences and these are not showing anything they're not really workshops they're just opportunities where photographers turn up and we shoot five models all day are fully styled and with costumes and makeup and uh, in a great location and those have been great because those are creative opportunities not just for the photographers but for myself as well so it's not like I'm teaching it's more of a, um, a day of resources for everybody and future workshops that I want to do I want to tackle kind of lots of other different themes like um like nude photography for example or um, in, um, photography workshops in different locations I've been doing some in, a, in a, an abandoned theater here um, which is much more interesting than doing one in a studio mm-hmm. um, so just keeping the edge I think on the workshops and the shoots doing something that's just not bog standard in a studio shooting someone's portrait um, trying to inject the you know the Miss Aniela that people know through the book and through the self-portraits but putting it in the workshops in a way that's actually useful to them because obviously I, I don't think it would be very useful to, sh- to do a workshop on self-portraiture because it's just something that you if you want to do you go and do it's not you know it's not a science that you can teach but yeah. um, I've really enjoyed doing workshops because I find that it's not something that's like you know delivering a robotic formula of how to do xyz it's it's um it's interesting for me to to deliver, to make a picture in front of people, show them how I've done it, but for it to turn out different each time for me as well. Yeah. So then the the workshops themselves, you mentioned there's some upcoming ones. Um, are they open for registrations? Can the This Week in Photo listeners go get on the list, or how does that work? Uh, yeah, I've just developed an area on my blog site, Um and well, it's missanyellablog.com slash events. And that's where I post all my upcoming workshops. I've got two coming up in um, the theatre. Uh, that's in two weeks and another one in um, the month after. Um, and I've also got um, four more shooting experiences coming up, April and May, which I'm really excited about because we just did the first one and I put a video of the shooting experience on my blog, on my um, Facebook page and on my blog. And so you can see exactly what happens at one of these um, and sign up for the next one if you wish. But it's a great value for money. You get a lot for your money on, the, on this day. Um, and I'm, I'm excited about, you know, just uh, just organizing the whole thing again and, and seeing photographers have a really good time. That's wonderful. Very good. Congratulations, Annette. I think that that way of approaching workshops, you know, like you were mentioning, doing them in abandoned theaters or warehouses mm. and that sort of thing, I think people get so much more out of those mm. than just, okay, we're in a studio and this is this technique for lighting and this is that technique for lighting. If you actually put people in a, in a sort of gorgeous, gorgeous location with a model and then instruct them on how to shoot that particular situation and then they walk away with images that they shot in that location that looks stunning i think you mm-hmm. know it's it's almost priceless so mm-hmm. definitely so let's wrap it up here where where can folks go to find out more about you we mentioned earlier on in the interview um, facebook which is taking off i'm looking at that page now um i know you're also on twitter and you also have a blog so tell us where you like people to go to find out more about you and the stuff that you're working on uh, well, my website, missaniella.com, I mean, you can you can access everything from there. You can access my blog and find out about workshops, about prints, about my book, 
Um, there's a link to my book from that if you go into the drop-down menus. But, I mean, Facebook as well will we'll link out to all that. So everything's interconnected. So the, the website or the blog or Facebook, you can find everything you need through those three areas. Got it. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to have a have a chat with me and the This Week in Photo listeners. This has been educational. I'm going to go curl up and uh, grab a cup of coffee and finish off your book here. So, <laughs> it's, uh, and again, uh, is the book the book is available now? Correct. Yes, that's correct. You can get it on Amazon or you can get it at your local bookshop. Or um, I also, I mean, if, if people want a signed copy, they can purchase it directly through me. You have to email me for that, though. But, um, but yeah, it's available right now in, in the U.S. with Pixseek and Ilex Press in the U.K. And just go to Amazon.com and search for Natalie DeBish or Self-Portrait Photography, The Ultimate in Personal Expression. All right. Thanks a lot, oh, Natalie. Right. This is this has been wonderful, and uh, yeah, I hope let's not make it another two years before we have <laughs> you on the show again. <laughs> well, I think that's a, a manageable dose of 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 me for people, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we can we can turn up the IV drip a little bit more and get you on a little bit more frequently. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, Natalie. Thank you very much, Frederick. Take yeah. care. Okay, that was Natalie DeBish. You can find links to, links to all of her presences on thisweekinphoto.com. Just look for this episode, 195, and uh, you can check out her work. All right, guys, this is, it's time now for the listener Q&A. Every week, our producers scour the TWIP forums at thisweekinphoto.com slash forum, and they find the best questions for us to answer on the show. And here are this week's questions. Uh, but before we do that, the the... Before we get to question number one, I wanted to just do a follow-up on a previous show. So we, there was a question that came in about photographing the sun through your camera, and we weren't really prepared to answer that because we're not op, you know, optometrists and we don't know all that stuff. All we know is it's bad to look at the sun. So um, uh, luckily, an optometrist listened to the show and sent us a note, and he said, uh, what did he say? He said, looking at the sun can cause cumulative damage, and he wanted to advise all the TWIP listeners that you must always use proper protection like sunglasses, good sunglasses, not cheap sunglasses, when looking at the sun. Sounds like common sense, but, you know, you never know. It makes sense to uh, just put that out there. Okay, question number one is from listener Finbar. Uh, Robert, I'm going to throw this one over to you first. You want to take this? Sure. You go ahead and read it. Okay. Um, let's see. He says he's from England and he says he wants to give street photography a go, mm -hmm. but is unsure how to start. The current plan is to pick a theme, say a market and approach subjects with an introduction like, hi, I'm taking photos, a so-and-so project. Do you mind if I take your picture? So uh, this person's asking for tips on that. Um, this is probably one of my favorite things to do when I travel. Um, you know, if, if I'm sometimes if I travel for work, you know, make sure a couple of days and I just love to like walk the streets and shoot people. Um, I generally don't have a theme, but uh, I generally do like to incorporate and use people in what I'm shooting. And I think it's just a case by case basis. I think first and foremost, the most important thing is to go do it. 
you know, yeah. just get out there and go do it and overcome your fears. If you, if you don't like approaching people, uh, sometimes I'll photograph them without their permissions. Uh, a lot of times when you point a camera at them, people do interact. And of course, you're going to get some that uh, don't like it. Uh, but I usually, once I've taken their photo, I'll go over there and, and talk to them. And, you know, if we do speak the same language, it's obviously nice to make a new friend and have a dialogue. And that's part of, uh, I think, emerging, immersing yourself into a culture like that is just getting out there. I did a trip to Venice one time and and just literally like got lost for the day and I didn't worry about like how to get home I just shot all day and I figured at the end of the day I can worry about how to get back to where I need to be um so I think my advice is just go do it um you know and it is polite and especially if you're going to use it to probably sell that image you might want to get uh you know uh model release yep. on that person but if you're just doing it for the fun of it and to throw it up on you know your website or your blog or Flickr, uh you know make your own personal prints for the house uh you don't need that release if, unless you're going to sell it so that's my advice on it very cool andy you have anything to tag on to that yeah I, th- I think robert hit on a good point which is what's your purpose you know is it commercial purpose or just personal and that's gonna i think drive a lot of how you shoot in general um I know that uh, he also asked for a book recommendation, and I own a book called Bystander, A History of Street Photography. Ooh. It was written by Joel Meyerowitz, um, I guess about 10 years ago before he passed away. And it, it's a great history of street photography. And look at that. And I think that helps develop uh, the uh, you know, your style. But uh, I think you know just approaching people and asking them is the best approach versus sitting two miles away with a long lens and acting like you're a, not so much a bystander, but really you're out of the park. You're not even in the scene. Um, be a part of it and then get close and, and take photographs as, as, uh, as open and honestly as you can. Yeah. And sometimes if you engage, you might miss the photo that you want. So you have to use your common sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, always, right? All right. Uh, question number two. Andy, I'm going to throw this one over at you. It's from listener Brad Lentz. Yeah, so he's from Australia, and he says, I've just recently heard about a back button autofocus. What is the benefit? Is it primarily for sports shooting? Uh, if it is the best way to keep focus, why don't manufacturers make it standard? Gosh, that's a great, great question. <laughs> Something I'm very passionate about. So l- l- let's go back in time. So if we go back um, until when Leica developed their first rangefinder camera. We had a shutter button, we had a shutter speed on the camera, and then an aperture on the lens. That's it. Three controls, and that's what it was. And you had to meter just outside of the camera. Uh, and then 20 years later in the 50s, they, they, they decided to put a, a very, very basic meter inside the camera. So where do we put the functionality? Hey, let's put it on the shutter button. So now we've got the shutter button that takes the photograph and meters. It has two functions, one button. And then in the late 80s, autofocus came out. Hey, where do we put the autofocus? Let's put it on the shutter button. So there are three functions for one button. And in my opinion, it makes no sense. I'm a process-minded thinker. And um, I would say that the rear autofocus button will benefit any type of photographer, but it is standard fare, I think, for all sports and wildlife fast action type photography. The reason why is that autofocus has nothing to do with when you actually want to take the photograph. Sometimes you want to autofocus, lift up your finger, recompose, take a shot. 
uh, I always teach all my workshop participants that if you put your camera into AI servo on the Canons or continuous focus on Nikons, you can just use the rear autofocus button on your thumb and you lift off and it's, it stops focusing, which acts like a single shot autofocus. Mm. However, you still have to disable the autofocus on the front shutter button. Uh, this is the thing that I always love to teach people and I show people and within a couple of hours they get the hang of it and it allows them a lot more freedom and flexibility. Uh, the flip side is that when my wife picks up my camera or cameras, she her head spins around and she does the exorcism thing. <laughs> and she, she doesn't know how to use my camera. So you have to watch out there. Which is kind of a good thing, right? It's it's like, you know, key to your fingerprints. <laughs> Stay away from my D3X. <laughs> that's awesome. Wow, that's yeah. that's really good advice. Robert, are you uh your rear focus button user? Oh, or? absolutely. As soon as I discovered uh, you know, I started shooting Canon EOS cameras early on and as soon as someone showed me in the custom function that you could move it to the back I love it. And just in the simple fact that uh, I'd rather get the shot than miss the shot. And in some cases, you know, if if the camera's not focused, it won't fire. Uh, So, you know, there are times in weddings where you want to, uh, you know, be fast and grab something. Maybe they're walking down the aisle. Um, But particularly, you know, I mentioned I just came from my son's baseball game and I shoot his sports and, you know, it's fun right now for me. It's just something different and outside of my element. And I mean, I, I do exactly that. I put a camera on AI servo you know, back focus button. And I can even like shoot the players, let's say running to first base, I'll shoot them batting. And then I'll, with a 70 to 200 to eight lens, I'll shoot them as they run down the baseline and continue to zoom out while I'm still focusing and still get amazing images. That's great. That's great. That's good advice. Uh, do either of you guys have any tutorials or just like references that people can point to if they're trying to get their brain around, how does this work and how do I configure my particular camera to allow me to hit the back focus button? Wow. It's usually a custom function, correct? Uh, you shoot, what do you shoot? Uh, yeah, I'm can- an icon guy, but I switched okay. from Canon two years ago. So, But every camera model's slightly different, unfortunately. Yeah. And there is no one size fit all documentation. Right. So I know Canon, it's a custom function. So you just need to look in your manual. Yeah, that's probably the best advice. Check your manual, you know, and uh, go from there. Cool. All right. Question number three is from listener Wing Photo. Um, Robert, I'll, I'll throw it to both of you guys. This is about photographing newborns. So we'll go to you first, Robert. I'm looking to start photographing some newborns in the area hospitals. I'm wondering if anyone has any advice on whom I should contact or how I should go about getting these parents to have their newborns photographed by me. Uh, of course, I've done a lot of maternity and baby photography, which is a natural sort of spin out of my wedding business. Uh, I've never gone after a hospital, but I know people that, that have. Um, I don't know who the person, there's an administrator, you know, in the maternity ward. Uh, I would suggest just going in there, and I've seen this, you know, where we had our kids. uh, And there was, like, huge pictures hanging on the wall of maternity and baby pictures. And see if you couldn't go in there and get some of your stuff hung in the hospitals, because that's a great way, you know, everyone that's in and out of there is going to see it. Uh, You know, obviously put your name or your website down in the little corner so people see it that that would be one way i mean i think that if you can land that you're going to get a lot of business from people coming in and out of the hospital as opposed to um you know trying to get somebody to hand out your cards yeah but networking with the hospital in some form or another is probably a good beginning yeah now uh andy have you have you done any of this kind of photography or are you strictly the uh you know shooting on the tundra out there 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nature photographer, but I shoot my family, and we've, we've got two boys that were born in hospitals. And from the other side of it, I would say I would, I would, I would probably counsel to establish a relationship with a, your, your, the doctor because the doctors typically office outside of the hospital, and they're independent from the hospital, and they're going to have different policies and procedures for third-party people trying to market their services. So I would try to put a bunch of photographs inside of the doctor's office that is going to deliver your baby. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Hit, it, hit it at the source. Like I always say, yeah, water, yeah. water the tree at the roots, not on the leaves. <laughs> or even pediatricians, you know, even after if you want to continue to shoot kids. Exactly. Get it into the pediatrician's office. Yeah, awesome. All right, guys. All right, we are at the time on the show where each guest gives their pick of the week. And remember, a pick can be some software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it's photography-related. Robert, let's start with you. What's your pick of the week? So my pick of the week is the Atlas 200 camera slider from Cinevate. Now, this might be a little advanced uh, for some, but I've really been digging shooting video and been doing a lot more fusion stuff and and shooting films and then do some music videos, things like that. So this camera, the Atlas 200 camera slider, is uh, basically that. It's a slider. It's about a three, there's different sizes, but a three to four foot long device that you put the camera on and it slides on rails so that you can do, you know, real short moving shots. But it really adds a really beautiful cinematic uh, effect to a piece that you might be shooting. You know, even for weddings, I've seen these guys, I've seen like a lot of the wedding videographers now have them. And uh, they'll do like a slide from behind a bouquet and then, you know, then it reveals the ceremony. And it just makes a little bit more interesting shot than, uh, you know, just shooting the ceremony or doing, you know, a close up of the rings, whatever it is that you want to shoot. Um, you know, I've used it uh, doing some uh, boudoir portraits. I teach, you know, some fusion workshops. So I use it, you know, I did one in Vegas and uh, we used, I used it for the first time there and doing some boudoir because boudoir is a very soft, uh, you know, intimate type portrait. Yeah. And so this works really well with it. You know, you slide the camera. I was using it like sliding it down, you know, the model's body and ending up on her face or, you know, and uh, so combining the stills then with some of the video that we shot and creating like these, you know, fusion videos. That's cool. Do you, do you have any of those posted online where we could uh, we could look? At? I do. Uh, most of them are at my uh, workshop uh, blog, which is uh, photofusionworkshops.com. Perfect. And uh, if you go there, uh, you know, be in the show notes. But if you go there, uh, you can see the different fusion videos that we've done. There's wedding stuff. There's boudoir stuff. There's personal projects. So there's a little bit there to be able to see. Very cool. All right. Thanks, Robert. Andy, what is your pick of the week? I'll give you it in a second, but I want to I go back to Robert's recommendation. <laughs> I own a Cinevate Atlas 10, which is the shorter version right. of the 200, and I take it to Africa with me to do interior shots of the different accommodations that I'm shooting. And I, let me tell you something. It adds so much uh, quality to the overall production of a video. It's highly recommended. Yeah. it's. A, I mean, and it's it's a... Not that expensive of a piece of equipment. I think it's around a thousand ish dollars, and and uh, yeah. but it's definitely worth it if you're if you're into shooting video. Wow, it adds it just really steps up your production, you know, yeah. that much more. I got to tell I'm, you guys, I'm I'm really getting sick of the pick of the week segment because every time we do this, there's more crap I got to buy. I mean, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what the problem is? I bought their entry level one, and now I want something lighter weight. So of course I'm doubling my investment. 
and I'm going to buy their carbon fiber Pegasus system. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they have yeah. some really nice stuff. I mean, Cinovate makes a ton of you know follow focus and anything you know you can use for <laughs> for videography with digital SLRs and regular videography as well. Yeah. So you could spend a lot of money there, but it's a great company. That's awesome. Well, Frederick, I'm going to give you my pick, and it's going to save you money. Thank How's you. That? Finally, jeez. My <laughs> pick is the thing that every photographer needs to have at least something, so, some of it in their bag, which is gaffer's tape. Oh. I, I always take, you know, you buy these big, huge rolls that probably weigh up two or three pounds, and they're usually 25, 50, 60 bucks for, just for tape. You know, it's, it's atrociously expensive. But what I do is I take off about one to two feet, and then I just create a little tiny roll around my finger, and then I put these little tiny rolls in every pocket, of every camera bag that I travel with. Okay. And what happens is that since I'm a wildlife shooter and my, my guests, my travelers are also into wildlife, I put gaffer tape like over different settings on their lenses because sometimes VR or image stabilization gets accidentally turned off um, because we're shooting on bean bags or sometimes some little, little item breaks and I have to uh, fix it with gaffer's tape. And it's cheap. It doesn't weigh much. And one roll will last you like five or ten years. So that's my pick of the week. Wow. Gaffer's tape. Where do, where do you buy your gaffer's tape from? Uh, wherever I'm buying other stuff from. So I just, it, to me, it's one of those, would you like fries with your order kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. You know? Yeah. So, so this, be, and it, what's special about gaffer's tape? I mean, is it just like scotch tape? Is it duct tape? Or is no. it less sticky? What's, what's magical about it? It looks like a duct tape, like a black duct tape. And it's not duck as in D-U-C-K, but it's duct tape. Yes. Anyway, and it's, uh, it's meant to leave no residue behind. So you put it on something, you take it off, and it, it's as if it was never there. Very cool. I like that. Yeah. All right. I just put a, we'll, we'll put a link to, the, uh, to Amazon and a bunch of gaffer's tape that people can download or purchase themselves. Yeah. All right. And my pick real quick is I just got this book from um, Peach Pit or New Writers Press, actually, one of the Peach Pit imprints. Um, it's called, and this has got to be the longest, most SEO-friendly book title I've ever seen. <laughs> the title of this book, it's from C Scott Kelby. It's called Professional Portrait Retouching Techniques for Photographers Using Photoshop. <laughs> so <laughs> that is a keyword-loaded, rich phrase if I ever heard one. And in fact, if you Google Professional Portrait Retouching Techniques for Photographers Using Photoshop, the whole first page of Google is that book. You know, so... I know what they're up to. They're doing this SEO stuff with the book titles now. So it's awesome. But the book itself is great. I just got it yesterday and I'm thumbing through it. And he deconstructs a bunch of things. Like he's showing how to actually digitally like shave beards off of guys and all that kind of magic stuff in there. So it's a, it's a really good book. It's robust. It's thick. And it's, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a must have for your bookshelf. And again, you know, I'm eating my words again because. I'm the guy that preaches about digital and ebooks and all this stuff, but I think there's a place for both because this, the, a book like this one, I want to hold in my hands because it's large and it's just sort of like, you know, it's a substantial thing that I can look at the pages and bring it closer to my face and you know, um, and I don't think that would translate too well over to digital. So, but then on the digital side, if he was to execute this book digitally, he could put videos and tutorials and that kind of thing in there. So I think there's room for both. So anyway, Professional Retouching Techniques for Portrait Photographers Using Photoshop by Scott Kelby. And we'll put a link to that on the, uh, in the, the show notes for this episode. Okay, guys, we are at the end of another This Week in Photo. Andy Biggs, where can people find you online? 
Uh, AndyBiggs.com. It's A-N-D-Y-B-I-G-G-S.com. And uh, my, uh, I also have a blog. It's TheGlobalPhotographer.com. Oh, nice. What, so what, what do you talk about on your, on your blog? You know, just, just any random things about where I travel and anecdotes and stories and some sample photographs of where I go and what I do. And you you rant about people slaughtering elephants in Africa and that sort of thing in there. Typically, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a rant blog. I love it. Yeah, cool. awesome. All right, uh, Robert Evans, where are you at online? Uh, my website is robertevans.com. Pretty easy. Uh, you can see more of my celebrity stuff at celebrityweddingphotographer.com. And I mentioned the photofusionworkshops.com. Those interested in uh, shooting video with their digital SLRs. Twitter is at Robert Evans. Pretty original. And uh, Facebook as well is at Robert Evans. Uh, I also have a, uh, you know, a fan page that I'm trying to move everybody over to because I'm getting pretty close to my Facebook limit. But uh, you can find me in both places. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I think I'm going to do that too. Um, just bite the bullet and move everybody over to a, to a fan page because I want to use my Facebook as like, like normal people use Facebook. <laughs> so. All right, guys, and to keep up with everything in the This Week in Photo universe, head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter page, and more. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash frederickvan or online at frederickvan.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. The show's content contributor is Eric Horton.